0: The following is a message by dr john Fesco from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu, or call us at seven six zero four eight zero eight four seven four. That's online at w s c a l dot edu, or call us at seven six zero four eight zero eight four seven four. let's bow together in a brief word of prayer let's pray father we're grateful that you have gathered us here this morning that we may take a few moments to reflect upon your word and uh, the apostle paul's teaching ultimately your teaching on the fruit of the spirit open our eyes and our hearts and we pray that in this way you would conform us more and more to the image of your son that we might be further equipped to serve uh, in love those around us we pray and ask those uh, these things in christ's name amen may be seated Uh, as you know, uh, or perhaps maybe don't know, uh, we've been going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit uh, from Paul's uh, letter to the Galatians in chapter 5. And so I'll go ahead and I'll read uh, Galatians chapter 5, uh, just the two verses in question, uh, and uh, or at least that we're looking at, and then we'll talk this morning briefly about the fruits of joy and peace. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. It's not very often that uh, I get to go to baseball games, but uh, there's one particular baseball game in my life that stands out, and that was because somebody gave me uh, tickets to game seven of the National League Championship Series in 1992 when the Atlanta Braves were playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that particular game was a doozy. Uh, The Atlanta Braves at that point, I haven't been following them really closely since, always wanted to wait until the very last minute to, to try and win the game, and this game seven was certainly no exception. Uh, I remember it was the bottom of the ninth, the runners on second and third, uh, with, and they were down by two runs. It was two to one with the Pirates in the lead. And uh, I remember Francisco Cabrera came to the plate Hit a line drive through the you know through the hole and uh, runners scored and Sid Bream, uh, who was the uh, on on second base, had to be the slowest man in baseball, uh, and you know he had this massive leg brace and it's almost even though it was a stadium filled with sixty five thousand people, it's almost like there was a collective hush over the stadium, and you could almost hear that leg brace creaking as he ran around the bases, and you thought. No, why are they gonna send him? I can't believe they're gonna send him. He's the slowest man in baseball. And as he came up to the plate, he slid in, and it was almost as if there was a collective gasp. And as the umpire came across the plate and waved his arms that he was safe, absolute bedlam ensued, you can imagine. I mean, they beat the Pittsburgh Pirates. They won the game, absolute bedlam. It was a moment filled with amazing joy for everyone in the stadium. I can remember jumping up and down with my brother. We were hugging ladies next to us. We had no idea who they were, <laughs> hugging the guys next to us. We had no idea who they were. We were just like, "Yeah, they won. I can't believe they won. This is great." And you know it took us like three hours to get home that day, or that night. I mean, just the city was, uh, you know, obviously celebrating. But I wonder what would have happened Well, I don't wonder, but I think I know what would have happened if Bream had been tagged out at the plate and the Atlanta Braves had eventually lost. Would the stadium have been filled with joy? I bet not. Maybe uh, jeers, maybe boos from the crowd. Uh, Maybe even rioting. Sometimes when cities uh, lose a championship game, there's rioting in the streets. But yet the scriptures present a very different picture as to the context in which we find joy. James, for example, in his epistle, in the second verse of chapter 1, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Joy. Count it all joy when you encounter and meet various trials. The Bible presents a picture where you can find and encounter joy in the most odd of places, namely that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials well, what about peace? The Bible oftentimes places a connection between joy and peace. Paul, for example, in Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I think these two are related, not simply because the Apostle Paul places them together. That, of course, would be reason enough to connect the two. But I think it's because ultimately, if you have peace, then ultimately, regardless of what goes on in your life, you should be able to find joy even in the midst of difficult times. So what I'd like us to do is briefly explore the nature of peace and then relate it to joy so that hopefully we can see the connections between the two and hopefully get a better understanding of the fruit of the Spirit as Paul has given it to us, love and now here this week, joy and peace. So the nature of peace. When Paul speaks of peace as of the fruit of the Spirit, I believe he has a state of mind in view. Think, for example, of the peace that marked Christ as he was asleep in the boat with the disciples as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee. The disciples feared for their lives. I mean, they thought that they were going to die, they were going to drown, the boat was going to go under. I don't think that Christ's slumbering was a case of just that he was tired. But rather, I think it ultimately flowed from the great sense of peace that he had with his heavenly father. The trust that he had with his father. The fact that he could entrust his very life as the God-man into his father's hands. Quite literally, we can say the world was crashing down around the disciples, but yet Jesus was at peace. He had great peace this means I think that in our sin fallen state we first have to have peace with our heavenly father the state of peace has to exist before we can have that sense of peace that peace of mind the peace that Paul says it surpasses all understanding that quite literally though all hell may be breaking loose around you that you have peace in your heart as Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in this life, there are many challenges. There are many big problems in this world. Global warming, terrorism, pollution, the economy, health care. And however we might want to rank those, The biggest problem that we have in this world is our lack of peace with God. The biggest problem that we have in this world is the presence of sin. That is our biggest problem. But yet, when we look to Christ by faith and we trust in him for our salvation, Christ cancels the record of debt that stands against us. And he gives us the freedom that we have as sons of God. And as sons of God, sons and daughters of God, we therefore have peace with God. And it is from this foundation of peace, if you will, that the Apostle Paul, I think, and it's, it enables him to look out upon the various circumstances in his life and to have great peace in his heart. I won't read the whole passage Uh, as I would like to, just for the sake of time, but I think that this is what drives Paul in the eighth chapter of Romans, so that he confidently can say, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul could look out upon the world with all of its challenges, but because he knew that God was for him in Christ, that no matter what circumstances or what man might do to him, he had peace in his heart. The truth that God had called him justified him, was sanctifying him, and the knowledge that he would be glorified gave him great peace of mind, even in the face of life's difficult tribulations knowing that you have peace with god gives you a sense of peace great peace in your heart because you know that your heavenly father holds your life in his hands the hands from which not a sparrow falls from the tree apart from his will the the hands from which he counts and numbers the very hairs upon our head as jesus says moreover if god more more you know, gloriously clothes the lilies of the field even more brilliantly and majestically than he ever did Solomon in all of his glory, then what is it that he is going to give to you and how is he going to care for you, the very one for whom he sent his son to die and to give his very life? I think it's from this foundation, therefore, that Christ tells us not to worry about these things but to seek first His kingdom. And it is from that foundation that we can have this spirit-given peace. It's not that you're just taking the Pollyanna view of things and looking at the world saying, well, I'm sure it'll get better, burying your head in the sand like an ostrich. But rather, it's from that knowledge, that firm foundation that you have in Christ, that peace that you have with Him and through Him that gives you great personal peace. And I think it is from this foundation of peace that you are able, that we are able, to manifest another fruit of the Spirit, namely that of joy. I think there can certainly be times of joy that are wedded to excitement, like the 92 and NLCS. The scriptures certainly tell us this. Psalm 132, verse 16, Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There can be times when we are filled with joy because it's a time of excitement. Say, for example, when, uh, when we find God answering our prayers. When well, we pray for something like rain <laughs> for a long time. And we say, this is fantastic. God is answering our prayers. When a lost soul turns to faith in Christ, we will be filled, I hope, with great joy. When we uh, worship in church, we can be filled with great joy. Some, maybe the expressions are a little bit more confined than others. That's fine. You know, We're called the frozen chosen for a good reason. So we can be filled with joy in worship. And I would assume and I would hope that on that last great day with the blast of the trumpet when the dead in Christ shall rise and those who are alive shall meet Christ in the air that that will certainly be a day filled with excitement and joy. But there are also times in the scriptures where we find joy seemingly inexplicably linked with times of sorrow and trial. Again, James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials and tribulations. Once again, I think we find the answer to this seemingly contradictory way of accounting for joy in the scriptures by looking to Christ. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, now listen closely, who for the joy of That was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you hear how the author of the Hebrews characterizes the pursuit of the cross as the joy that was set before him? Why? How can the cross be joy? I mean, if there was ever a seeming contradiction, here it would be. I think ultimately it's because Christ knew that he was yielding up his life in obedience to the will of his Father. He was giving his life as a living sacrifice, if you will, uh, obeying his Father's will as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but thine be done. And that is what filled his heart. Despite the gravity, despite the difficulty, despite the suffering, that is what filled his heart with joy. Well, beloved, I think that that is where we find the answer as to how we can be filled with joy even in the midst of suffering and sorrow. We can be filled with joy because we know that God is not our enemy, because we have peace with him. We can be filled with joy because by his holy providence, he is purifying us. He is removing the remnants of sin within us. He is sanctifying us by the refiner's fire, purging the dross as it is burned out and it is removed from the cauldron. That he is ultimately conforming us to the image of his son. Whenever you have an athlete, for example, who is in rigorous training, the athlete has to work hard. There's pain involved. But it's for a goal. It's for a purpose. I mean, I do appreciate my, my, my brother's life motto, which is slightly tongue-in-cheek, but there's a lot of truth to it. Is He says, no pain, no pain. That's his motto. Yeah, I mean, and it, it sounds pretty good on the surface. <laughs> but if you really want to achieve a number of goals in life, whatever they may be, there is probably going to be some sort of pain, maybe some sleeplessness, maybe some sore muscles. Maybe fatigue. Maybe times when you feel as if your body is just crumbling beneath you. But it's to the goal. In terms of athleticism, it's winning the prize. But in terms of our sanctification, it is greater conformity to the image of Christ. Dying to self and living unto him. And that is why I believe, even in the face of trials we can encounter and know joy that the Spirit gives to us in the midst of those difficult circumstances. This is the case of the apostles. In the book of Acts, after they had been persecuted by the religious leaders, it says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced because they knew God, through his holy providence, was conforming them to Christ's image. And using lowly disciples, fishermen, to be heralds of the gospel of Christ. To herald the advent of the king and his kingdom. And because of this, they were filled with joy. So again, they don't weren't looking through the world, the world uh, through their Pollyanna glasses, but instead they were looking at the world through the lens of the cross of Christ. And all of life through that lens of the cross of Christ becomes the joy set before us, not so that we somehow suffer to atone for sins, but rather so that we, we are further conformed to the image of Christ. Such is the nature of the state of mind that the Spirit grants to us by His grace to give us a disposition of joy, whether in times of plenty or in times of want. As Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and even be filled with joy, I think he would have. So, beloved, in Christ, rejoice that Christ has given you his Holy Spirit, that he has given you access to the fruit of the Spirit. Rejoice. Rejoice. And seek that joy, whether in times of plenty or in want. For in those, even in those times of want or in trial, we should recognize that as C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. That is the place, if you will, where God is forming and molding and making and shaping us to be like his son. And so for that, we should rejoice. Know that you have peace with God and that all of your life is in the hands of your Heavenly Father, such truths, beloved in Christ, should fill your hearts with great joy and great peace. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks, for indeed, you are a God who has created us and equipped us to have affections, and in this regard, you enable us by the power of your spirit to have that great state of mind of peace and even be filled with joy. And that that joy is not something that is confined simply to those good times in life as we perceive them, but even in those difficult times. Help us to remember that that peace that we have through Christ is the foundation for the sense and the peace of mind that we should have in all times in life and especially that we would be filled with joy whether in times of plenty or in want. Forgive us, Lord, when we allow the trials and the circumstances of life to rob us of that spirit-wrought peace and joy. Help us that we might rest in your Son knowing that if you are for us, who can be against us? that if you justify, who is it that can condemn? For that you have given us all things in your Son, and such truth should fill our hearts with joy and with peace. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.